0: Well, good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. All your attention up here now, please. Stop being nice to each other. You can look at me. Um, Yep, Pastor Tim announced that I was preaching, and you stayed. This is very encouraging. So glad you're here. Um, (coughs) Excuse me, but in all seriousness, it is so good to be with you yet again. My name is Matt, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor at our Surrey campus, Every Nation Surrey. Uh, We meet on the campus of SFU, and I know so many of you are praying for us, and some of you who have never met me and have heard about the church, you're even praying for it, and I just want to say thank you, just the more people praying for that, what God is doing there in the lives of students, the young families, and the city there, and so here I am. Uh, I get to speak with you guys, and we are going to continue our topic of suffering, our summer of suffering, and so... Uh, I had a question for you before we begin maybe maybe this has happened to you um, during a picnic or a family gathering or you go out to eat with friends and you start sharing stories and then somebody shares a story of something that they had good intentions it was supposed to turn out well but then it turned out very poorly so they say oh yeah we you know I went mountain biking and it was going to be a great day but then I ended up breaking my leg, you know, or we were going to uh, do some renovations in the house and it turned out this way, you know, we need to buy a new house or something like that. Like the story just goes. And whenever somebody shares a story like that, raise your hand if you've shared a story like that, the next thing that happens immediately is what? Someone shares a bigger story, right? Of, well, check this out. You think that's bad. Let me tell you this. And you keep going, and you keep going. And uh, I'm always curious, and sometimes I ask it, not always, but sometimes when I hear what happened in that story, the intentions were good, but something went wrong, and then I ask, well, would you do it again? Would you do it again? And it's always fascinating. It depends on what the original goal of the story was. So if if it's a mountain biker and says, yeah, I went and I broke my leg, but... I got to reach that. I got to reach the top of that mountain. I got to go there. So would you do it again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, the renovation that you did. If you were to do that, would you do it again? Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, so it depends on the goal. And so what we're currently in is this roundtable discussion of suffering. Um, Pastor Jonathan, he put this uh, together. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the New Testament authors and it's interesting, all of them have something to say about suffering. Um, it, it's not like, uh, I think we should just add this here. Or It's like, no, if you're going to be living for Jesus, if your life is going to be identified by him, there will be suffering. And so what we've been doing, I, I've really, really enjoyed it, even though it's on suffering, is that we're doing this discussion to see, well, what did suffering look like for you? What is your advice during suffering? What, what should we do during this time? And so we started off with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, uh, Pastor Jonathan preaching. And Paul said that suffering isn't fair. So he agrees with us. Suffering in this life is not fair. However, neither is love. Like, Jesus' love is not fair, yet he gives it to us. And then we looked at Jude It wasn't that hard because it was only one chapter, but we looked at Jude, and we saw that Jude actually says, don't suffer, and here's the way to not suffer. Uh, The mercy that you've received from Jesus, well, give that. Give that away to people as well. As you're suffering, give it away to people also who are suffering. Then last week, we looked at James, and he said that suffering is actually needed. He said, in following Jesus, suffering is needed for maturity and understanding. So follow the example of Christ. And today, we're going to continue, and we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at having faith in suffering. And so today, the answer is faith. And I know none of us want the answer to be faith. Like, can you give me something else? It's <laughs> like, how do I get through this? Have faith. Ah, give me something better. And so we're going to look at faith. But as we're in this roundtable discussion— The name tag of the author has fallen off, okay? We don't know exactly who this is, um, but what we do know is that uh, the person who wrote this was in touch with, um, excuse me, was in touch with the apostles. This was someone who was either mentored by them or discipled them, uh, someone who saw Jesus. They were in the life of this author, Um, Some say maybe it was Barnabas. Some say maybe it was Apollos. There's some other theories as well. But what we need to know is that this book is a very, very encouraging book. And I feel that the author, it's more than just a letter. It, It is authority. He has authority in what he's writing because of who he's walked with and because of what he says about Jesus. But he says it in such a pastoral way He says it in such a loving and shepherding way. And so what we're going to do, whenever we're talking about the author tonight, we're just going to say the pastor. Is that okay? So if you hear the word pastor, that's who we're talking about tonight. Um, So let's see what he has to say to the people who who are suffering and having persecution. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, you can open that up and it will also be on the screen. (coughs) Excuse me. Let's read. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated, who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will rejoice what he has promised. For in just a little while, this is now quoting the book of Isaiah, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to be going through this verse by verse. Um, but as we read this, this is, he's speaking to those who follow Jesus, and he's reminding them, yes, of the good days, but also, too, of the current trials that they're in, of the current pain. I mean, I don't know if I would start my letter this way. Hey, remember that day where you got saved and you saw the light? You came from darkness to light? Remember that, and remember the persecution that came with that, and remember how you got all your things taken away. Like I don't know if I would go there, but this is what the pastor is doing, and we're going to see why. Um, Now I don't know about you, but I have seen this resurgence of Christian apparel. Uh, Maybe it's a Christian T-shirt or a coffee cup. It's something that has a Christian message on it. I've seen shirts that say God the Father. Um, I've heard. uh, I've seen hats that say. Uh, he is greater than me. Um, I've seen coffee cups with Christian messages. In, in fact, I wanted to show you a few. Uh, there's one here. Maybe you've seen this one that says, bless. That's a nice message. Um, th- this one you've probably seen before. It's a very um, popular verse. In fact, I think I've only seen this verse on coffee cups for I know the plans I have for you. This is a nice way to start the morning. Uh, I- I've also seen some that say, rest, Um Be still. And those are good messages. I saw this one. This is kind of a harsh one, but it says, only talking to Jesus today. Um, Thought like, oh, okay, that's okay. But I wonder, like, I've never seen this coffee cup. I'm a Christian. Take everything. (laughs) And so as we're going through, um, like, what it looked like for these Hebrews to follow Jesus, he's reminding them, like, oh, this has not been an easy thing. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, And so, if what we are reading today is an example of what being a Christian looks like, if what the pastor is writing to, to the Hebrews, if that's what it looks like, then the question begs to be asked, what does it look like for you to joyfully accept the confiscation of your property? Like, what goal... Do you have to have, what goal has to be in your mind for you to still serve others even when they're persecuting you, even when you're suffering? What goal has to be there? What would it be? A few years ago, I was at a Christmas party and I was meeting this incredible guy who owned a junk removal business and all of his employees were homeless youth or uh, youth who, with addictions. And he would hire them to come and help and he would rehabilitate them. And it was incredible and so I have a passion for youth and he's telling me uh, a little bit about the business and then he said, yeah, and my wife and I, we give 90% of our income away every year to these foundations to help out these these youth. And I said, excuse me, can you say that one more time? He's like, yeah, we give 90% of our income away. I'm like, wow. So my next question was, how long have you been a Christian? He goes, I'm not. I'm like, what? He goes, I'm not. I get that all the time, though. Like, everyone asks me if I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, yeah, because you already you're, you're better than me. <laughs> you're a better Christian by what you're saying. And so I said, how did this start? Like, I have to know where did you get this desire to do this? And so he said, well, uh, I used to be a drunk, and I had a really bad problem with alcohol and it would separate me from all my relationships from my job couldn't hold work down and it was just a really really dark time but then people said hey you need a change of heart you need to say no to that and yes to life yes to something else so I did I'm like yeah that's called repentance but yeah continue go ahead And then he said, and then I realized the first relationship that was impacting because of my selfishness was my marriage. And so I humbled myself, and we worked together as a team, and I decided to start leading my family instead of blaming my family. And I'm like, that's called a covenant. Okay, keep going. How did you do that? And he goes, and then one day as I was working, I started this junk removal uh, business, and it was hard to keep employees And then I saw a homeless youth, and I asked him if he wanted a job. And I could tell he had never been asked uh, to be trusted before. He had never been given that opportunity. And I liked it, and I wanted to keep giving that opportunity. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's called compassion. (laughs) That's so good. And then he's like, yeah, and I started telling them to choose better ways to live, to choose better crowds to live with to live with people, to talk with people who would build you up. And I'm like, that's called discipleship. Like, this is so good. And then he said him and his wife agreed that with their finances, they would support these students, but they wanted to support more. They wanted to support as many youth as possible. So instead of just giving to their employees, they wanted to be generous. I'm like, wow, that's called an offering. Like, that's incredible. Um, And then he's like, and now what I want to do is I want to take these, uh, I want to take these youth around the world and I want them to see how big the world is and the needs of the world and the poverty levels and how we can help make a difference. I'm like, that's called missions. Like, this is incredible what you're doing. And I said, would you want to know Jesus? Because, like, you're kind of doing all his stuff. Would you want to know him? And he goes, ah. Like, why? And he goes, well, I've just seen it get too messy if you bring Jesus into things. And it's a little too confrontational, because not everyone's going to agree with me. They agree that I do the nice things. But if I say that I'm doing it for someone else other than myself, that's a hard one. Now, granted, this man did not know Jesus, but he's not wrong, is he? Because if we act like a Christian today, in many ways, it's better if you do act like a Christian. For example, if you act like a Christian, good chances are you won't have illicit sex and so you probably won't get diseases, you probably won't have heartache as much, that's better. If you act like a Christian, you won't drink the excess, so you'll be spared of the dev- devastation of alcoholism, that's better. If you act like a Christian, you will work hard and do better in business because we're supposed to respect our bosses, that's better. If you act like a Christian, you will be kind and generous, and and some people will like you. That's better. That's good. But the people in our passage today, the Hebrews, they're suffering. And some of us might read that and just find it incredible that suffering is still part of the Christian life. Like, wait, I thought we were done with that. I thought Jesus died for it. Like, why are we suffering if Jesus is good news? And I think it's this, because modern Christianity, what we think following Jesus is, is not a call to suffer as an alien, not, not a call to suffer as someone who is not of this earth. But instead, we are called to prosper and be a respected citizen if in this place. We're supposed to love people, but we're also supposed to get what's ours. And if anything prevents us from prospering in this life, well, we ignore it. We run away. Or maybe we even get angry at it. Um, I I remember there was one time uh, I was with a student. uh, We were at their school. We were walking around. And we were there to pray for the school. It was really cool. And some students ran up and said, hey, to the student. And the student just put his head down. And I'm like, okay. And so... You know, I was the creepy old guy, and I said, hey, how's it going? I'm Uncle Matt, nice to meet you, and, you know, saying all those things. And so they left, and um, we prayed for the, for the school, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, why did you want to get to know their names or talk to them? <laughs> and he goes, I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm like, oh, what do you mean by not that kind of Christian? He's like, I want to pray for them, but I don't want to tell them. That i'm a christian because i i don't want to be made fun of i don't want to be hurt you know any of those things and the truth is i do this all the time Uh, my actions show that i live by some different rules by some different way but often my words don't say it it's just i'm hoping that people see my actions and that'll be okay that i won't have to say anything Um, but let's be honest today None of us, I think, live in fear that when we walk out of this place today, we're going to be attacked because of our faith. Now, there are many Christians in the world today that that is a real possibility for them around the world. But for us in Canada, we just don't have those kinds of fears. But that doesn't mean that the culture we live in still isn't hostile or suspicious of Christianity. Because we do live in a culture where there is a measure of hostility and resistance towards the name of Jesus, especially when it comes down to his exclusive claims that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. It's going to be difficult saying those claims in our culture without experiencing just a measure of hostility and outrage, possibly. Like if someone found out you were a Christian and asked you, hey, every Sunday you could be just doing whatever you want, but you go to church. Why do you go to church? Well, if our response was, ah, it's good for my kids. You know, it's a good place. They get to learn nice morals, learn some fun songs. Or, you know, it's good for me. Being part of a church helps me be a better person. Or it's nice to hear different perspectives. Or it just makes me feel good to go to church. Now, if we say that to someone, we're probably going to get zero pushback. We'll probably even get encouraged, like, good for you, good for you. But if somebody said, hey, why do you go to church, and we were to respond, oh, I go to church because I'm a Christian, because Jesus is the light of the world, and there is no ultimate peace, no fullness of joy without his prevailing presence in my life. He's the one that demands my hope and living in full submission to him. Meaning, my desires, my dreams, my ambitions, my finances, my job, my earthly possessions, my sexuality, my family, everything that I consider my life is brought under his lordship. Because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to God but through him. Now, if you answer like that, you might get a little pushback. (laughs) You might get some problems. Um, Because that's not the answer our culture is looking for. And some of you, you're in certain profession, excuse me, professions or you run in certain social circles that if you go public with your faith, you might be perceived as unintelligent, a bigot, a narrow-minded person, mean, ironically, unloving and unsafe. And because of this, we can tend to not talk about faith to others, or we just try to find a nicer, more acceptable way of just existing with others instead of serving God with others. And yes, maybe because of fear is the reason that stops us, I know it stops me, but I think there's a bigger reason that the author says in this passage. And he says this, sometimes we don't live for Christ in the places we live simply because we have forgotten what we have. We have forgotten what we have. Now the people of Hebrews, these Christians had only heard the stories of Jesus. They they had not seen Jesus. They saw the apostles. They saw people who, who did see Jesus, but they saw it lived out by the disciples of Jesus. So they heard the stories. They heard the miracles. And I bet they decided, you know, I've never seen Jesus, but my life is in need of some miracles right now. I want that. I want what you're talking about. Because the other leaders that I see, the other governments, they're not saving me anytime soon. I want that. And so they decide to follow Jesus. <coughs> and at first, they didn't seem to mind the initial negative response from others when they found out that they were living for a new leader. That they were living for the Messiah. Because as you see in verse 34, it says, you yourselves, you, you weren't afraid. Like, you were certain that you had found a better and lasting possession. And because of this, their actions and their behaviors were completely different to the world that was persecuting them. As we see a few chapters later, Hebrews 13 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. He's reminding that you're in a spiritual world, a spiritual battle. And then he says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as you yourselves were suffering. Think of people in those categories. And then he says, for we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. One translation says, this earth is not our home. We have a better kingdom that we live for and I think we like and appreciate the idea of Christian living as it can make this world a bit more tolerable yes let's be a little bit more loving yes let's not worry about our finances yes let's communicate in love with one another and so Christian living yes it can make it more tolerable but this can also be a very sinister thing if we are just acting like Christians but expect to be safe and provided for by the world's standards, not God's standards. If our better and lasting possession can only be found in this life, then we have somehow adopted a world's perspective of faith that is defined by our thinking, our expectations. Instead of talking about Jesus, we tend to say to people, well, if if I don't bother you, you don't bother me. Okay, let's do that. Or instead of giving generously of what God has already given you, we say, well, I'll give to you what I think you deserve. Or instead of being free to extend mercy because mercy has freely been given to you, we forgive those who have hurt us, but when we feel it's time, when we feel they've learned their lesson. Basically, if we feel that our safety and freedom comes from being a good citizen in this world and prospering here because we have earned it, then our hope is in the world. It's not in Jesus. And when things get uncomfortable because of our beliefs, we will actually run away from the areas that we actually need Jesus in. But these Christians who were experiencing suffering didn't just act as Christians. They knew and had a confidence in a different kind of possession. And that possession, as we see in verse 36, is a promise. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. But more than a promise, it is a person, and that person is Jesus. (coughs) Um, I read this quote by Tim Keller this week, and I cried for five minutes, and it was this. Tim Keller said, the world sees Jesus as useful, but the Christian sees Jesus as beautiful. I hope I'm not the only one who had to hear that tonight. But Jesus is useful, but he's more than that. He's beautiful. Because of who Jesus is, the pastor in Hebrews says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We aren't to look for other beautiful things that can offer what only Jesus can. We are to follow Jesus wholeheartedly not just with what we understand, not just with how we feel, with everything that we are. Last night, I was at a community in New West. Uh, We have four communities now in Surrey, which is pretty cool. And so, last night, we had our community at the park, and I met a man, amazing man. Like, I could listen to him for hours. He had an Australian accent, too, so that was nice. And he just kept talking and talking, and he said, so you're a pastor. And I said, I am. And he goes, can I just tell you the most beautiful thing I've ever seen? I'm like, please. And he said, there are so many religions. There are so many belief systems. There are so many experiences. There are so many stories in the world. And when all those stories, all those beliefs, all of those things come together, oh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's amazing. He goes, don't you think that's beautiful? I said, no. No, I don't. He goes, why? Why Why don't you think it's beautiful? I'm like, I love the idea of that. However, if people have different things, someone's a liar because they can't all be true. They can't all be the thing. They can't all be eternal salvation. They can't all be perfect happiness. They can't all be those things, can they? Like someone has, has to be lying if you think they're all true. But I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, Now, these Jewish Christians, as we see in Hebrews, they are faced with the temptation to shrink back in their allegiance to Jesus and simply just go back to Judaism. And and I mean, listen, it's pretty close, right? Like, the Jews believe in the Messiah. He just hasn't come yet. And we have the same lineage, the same story of how God delivered us from the Exodus. Uh, we worship the same God. We just have to worship him through sacrificial offerings. And so that that's good. We, we can just go back to that. And it would actually kind of be a safer option because uh, Judaism was actually protected by Rome. It was a religion that was protected by Rome because Rome tried to get the Jews to believe uh, in the Pantheon and other Roman and Greek gods, but they couldn't do it because the Jewish people were so committed To one God. To one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's who they were committed to. And so the Romans decided, well, they can be committed to that God, just as long as they don't make a fuss. So let them be committed to that. But then when Jesus comes, that's a different story. Now he's saying that he is God. And so in Judaism, in other words, this was protected by Rome. So if you were Jewish, your faith and your religious practices, it was protected by the government. And so these Jewish Christians now are faced with the temptation of renouncing Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and just going back to what they grew up with. And that's the temptation. And so the pastor is going to call these Jewish Christians to steadfast love and loyalty to Jesus. The heat is going to be turned up because as we're going to see later, these believers are going to start losing their life for their belief. And the author says, yes, you might lose your life, but Jesus is worth it. Living in fellowship with him is worth more than your life. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my family and I had the privilege of speaking at a youth camp on the island. Uh, Just a beautiful experience. There was 400 campers. And it was ages 8 to 11. And one day, uh, I was sitting by the ice cream shack that they have there, just because it's a nice place to sit, okay? It's nice and cool. It's the only reason I was there every day. Um, but as I was sitting there, I saw this group of girls sitting there. There's three of them, three 11-year-olds. And one of the girls said, hey, can I talk to you? I said, sure, what's going on? She said, I have a problem. Oh, what's your problem? She goes, before I came to this camp, my dad sat me down and said, I want you to have the best week of your life. I want you to have so much fun. I want you to meet new people. I want you to have a great time. But whatever they say about Jesus, I don't want you to listen. Whatever they say about faith, don't listen. You've lived your whole life without it, You can live the rest of your life without it. Don't listen. I said, wow, thank you for sharing. What's your problem? She goes, I listened. (laughs) I'm like, oh. I'm like, what did you hear? And I could not believe her articulation. She said, if this is true, she goes, I know I'm only 11 years old, but I've seen and heard that life just gets harder from here on in. And if that's true, and Jesus says that he is a better answer to my problems, that he is a better Lord to my kingdom, that he is a better ruler, friend, king, if he is all of those things, then I feel like I would be running away from him. And before... I had an excuse now i have no excuse this is my choice this is amazing and she accepted jesus right there and then after afterwards i said how do you feel she goes i have another problem i said what's your problem she goes i have to talk to my dad (laughs) like oh that's your problem see like no i said (coughs) that is a big problem and she goes what do i say and can I be honest? I, my brain was rocking. I want to give her the perfect answer, the perfect solution. And I said, you know what? I can't give you the perfect answer, but I can give you a perfect name, and it's Jesus. Even if you don't know the answer, if you believe that his name is still powerful to help you in that situation, just say his name. If you feel that that is the difference, that there's something about his name Bring him in the conversation. And you could just see a smile on her face. Oh, I can say a name. This is great. Because that's the name she just gave her life to. So yeah, she'll keep talking about the name. And I just love that. For this girl, her life was changed. And it's because she believed the promise. But more than just the promise, she believed the promise maker and the promise keeper. And the same with us. Our eternal promise is found in a person. Because Jesus is the greatest person you ever could live for. And Jesus is the greatest person you could ever give your life up for. He's of unparalleled significance. So the pastor in Hebrews reminds us today that if you miss out on Jesus, you actually miss out on everything. If you give up on Christ, you actually walk away from Jesus. And if you renounce him, the only thing that's left is judgment. That's it, because you haven't accepted him. And because our response to Jesus is so serious, our gracious pastor here in the book of Hebrews doesn't pull any punches. He wants to make sure we understand the severity of our response to Jesus. And so in our passage today, he says, if we don't shrink back, we won't be destroyed. In other words, if you don't shrink back, you will be saved. And this warning is clearly teaching us that we are saved by grace through faith, but that the faith that saves us in a persevering faith, excuse me, is a persevering faith. It's a faith that does not give up and renounce Jesus, but instead it leans into him. It invites him into all the situations. So as we follow Jesus, yeah, there may be times where we want to know other thoughts and other teachers and other things. That's okay. But just remember that Jesus will be better. Jesus will be more beautiful. And only those who persevere in faithful love and loyalty to, G- to Jesus will be saved in the end. So I encourage us to fix our eyes on him. Allow our hearts to be stirred by the greatness of Jesus. Um, I'll invite the worship team up. Um, I I don't know about you, but uh, it was a little while ago. It it was very kind. I was on a walk with Paul Morgan, and I was just kind of being a little down on myself. I'm like, ah, yeah, this wasn't that good. I could have done better here. I could have done this. And Paul was great. He just looks at me, and he goes, do you need a pep talk right now? I'm like, huh, what? He goes, do you need a pep talk? Yes, yes, I do. And he goes, you're great. You're great. You're a good father. You're a good husband. Like, maybe he's lying to me, but it's exactly what I need to hear. And he's like, you're great. It's just you have some things that you need to trust Jesus with. But you're good. And I just wanted to say for us who might be in the midst of suffering, we know suffering very well. Maybe spiritually, physically, we know it extremely well you might need a pep talk and know that Jesus is still worth following. The promise is still good. The promise maker and keeper is still faithful. Because we didn't just sign up to prosper in this life. We signed up forever for him to provide in all things in all times. Uh, This was a quote uh, from Pastor Jonathan we were talking about the message this week, and I was like, that's good. Can I quote you? So I put his name up there. And it says this, endurance is not a precondition for God making the promise. So it doesn't mean God's like, all right, you're strong enough. You're tough enough. You can handle it. Okay, I'm going to give you a promise because you're strong enough. No, no, no. But in a fallen world, our faith and endurance is an expression of confidence that God will keep his promise. I will endure because I know he's endured for me. I will be faithful because he is faithful to me. Because the truth is my greatest possession is a perfect person. And I can say the hard things to anyone because I know I will be perfectly loved and secured by who he is. The world may sound smarter at times or they may sound right for a moment, but in Christ, we have something that is better and lasting. It will never end. So I'm not just surviving in this life. You are not just surviving in this life. But what we're doing is we're kind of writing a portfolio or a resume for the life to come. God, this is what I trusted you with. This is what you gave me. And I used it. I said it. I was faithful. And whatever we have, we trust God with. And if you don't have a relationship with God right now maybe it's just a bad time maybe you don't have the enough answers to your questions yet I would just like to ask what possession are you holding on to right now and is that possession completing you like you thought it would is it lasting the way that you thought it would This past week I was reading a finance magazine I never do that cuz I never have money but this was one time that I was reading it, and it was interesting. They did a survey, and they started with people who were making an income of $40,000 a year. And they said, how much more money would you need to be happy and to be complete? And they said, 80,000. I would just need 80,000. And so they asked people with 80,000. They said, so if you had 80,000 a year, how much more money would you need to be happy and complete? You know what they said? 160. I would need 160. And they kept going, and what people were doing was just doubling what they had. And what it showed me was we can get halfway there, but we know that there's a spot where we can't do any more. So let me just do the half, and if that other half could be completed, I'm in. But with Jesus, he doesn't just meet us halfway. He doesn't fill the gap. He's everything. He's everything. He takes it all. That's why his followers are some of the most generous people I've ever met. Because they don't have it, but they know he does, and he'll provide it. They don't know how the situation will end, but they still step in the situation because they know God's there, and he will be faithful to the end. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Uh, This is a very important message. What does it look like to have faith in suffering? And I think it just looks like trusting Jesus every day for everything. And every day we get to learn what that looks like. We get to figure that out. I don't know what it looks like when I get out of bed, but at the end of the day, I do know who I trusted. And for some of us, yes, there is persecution because we have. Maybe we're the only Christians in our family, maybe we're the people at work that say, God bless, and it always uh, (laughs) triggers people. Maybe that's us, but maybe there's some other suffering going on as well. We have physical suffering. Our province is suffering right now with these fires. There's a lot happening in the name of suffering. And sometimes we might feel that we're just stuck with that, that we don't know what to do with it. But you know what we get to do? We get to give that suffering to the Lord. We still get to do something in that we still get to say who will be the victory, who will be with us in this time. Suffering gets to be a testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We pray and ask that our testimony would be written by you, that we would be so confident in who you are because we know what we have is so good and everlasting. God, give us a mindset to know that this world is not our final final place. It's not the final goal, but it's to be with you. And so I pray that you would be with us. God, help us trust you in these times. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.